0: Today's reading is a reading from the Radiance Sutras, translated by Lauren Roche, number 98. Be wildly wildly devoted to someone or something. Cherish every perception. At the same time, forget about control. Allow the beloved to be herself and to change. Passion and compassion, holding and letting go. The ache in your heart is holy. Accept it as the rise of intimacy with life's secret ways. Devoted is the divine streaming through you, from that place in you before time. Love's energy flows through your body, toward a body, and into eternity again. Surrender to this current of devotion and become one with the body of love. Thank you, Ed. And uh, that reading was the reading actually I used to the end of the last service, and it sort of tides us over. We've been talking over the past couple of weeks about service being the endpoint of spirituality, service being the endpoint of spirituality. I put a tree on your service sheet. But look at the tree. It doesn't seem to be doing anything but growing. And yet every part of it is serving the universe in which it inhabits. The branches offer a home to birds and shelter to others. The leaves provide oxygen for the atmosphere and food. I I could go on, but its very existence is an act of service. As is the existence of every living thing. Whether you like it or not, your purpose on this planet is one of service. And your task is to find the place where you can serve most effectively. That's why we engage in spiritual practice. So that we can understand the true nature of reality and be able to serve in a meaningful way. We we do spiritual practice so that we can work out what the nature of reality is and how we can serve in a meaningful way. When you do not see the true reality of the universe, then your horizons are limited by your own self-interest. Your horizons are limited by your own self-interest. You therefore try to do your best to get what you can out of existence, which is what most of us do. But when you begin to study the nature of spirituality, the essence of things, you begin to see a bigger picture, that it's not just about you, but that you're deeply connected to the whole universe, that the universe is all of one beingness, and that you are all part of that one beingness. And being a part of that whole, you, by your very existence, are playing a part in the unfolding of that universe. That's what's meant by non-dualism. There is no two. There's not me and everything else, but there is all actually a oneness, the, the interconnectedness of all things. Now, these ideas are quite common. However they only really make a difference to us when we actually know them to be true rather than just good ideas that we aspire to. To think of good ideas doesn't really... It can motivate us for a bit, but it, doesn't, it can't deeply motivate us. It's like having the idea of being in love as being a good thing. You know, the idea of being in love, you know, you hear stories about it and you aspire to finding it. But it's only when you actually fall in love that you really understand. And that affects your behavior and your behavior to your beloved. You act and behave completely differently, even irrationally, to being with someone that you're not in love with. You, you behave completely different to someone you're in love with to someone you're not in love with. And the same is true with the way that we act in relationship to the circumstances of our lives. You know, we may think that the interconnectedness of all things you know, makes a lot of sense, and lots of you know, great people talk about it. We may see, you know, think that, see intellectually that all things are connected, But it's only when you have an insight into that nature of reality, something that's not just a good idea but seeing the reality, that actually our behaviour begins to change. That's why we engage in spiritual practice. We want to develop an insight into the nature of reality within which we exist. And once we begin to have that insight our behavior begins to change. More specifically, we see what our contribution might be, how we might be able to truly serve, because we're seeing things differently. We can see more clearly how we can make a real contribution to that which is around us. You know, for me, when I began to get some insight into the deep reality that all things were connected, when I I had an insight into that, I just wanted to communicate it. That that was the the impact it had on me. I wanted, you know... In fact, more than just wanting to communicate I felt it was my duty to communicate it. You know, duty is an interesting word. It's from the French word due, which is owed, or obligatory service, that which ought to be done. Also, the force of that which is morally right. I felt just... Totally obliged to do it. it. It was this if I had no choice, I glimpsed something that really didn't seem to be held in the world as a general perspective. The world saw itself, from my view, as being separate from everything else. You know, people, races, nations saw themselves apart from each other. And my glimpse of the nature of reality convinced me that all things were one, you know, one reality, one consciousness, one beingness. And having glimpsed that, I felt it was my obligatory service to communicate that. I felt I owed my life to that. So for that reason, I left advertising, which is not really, which is, the whole purpose of advertising is to take advantage of separateness. It's to actually talk into it, to say, yes, you are separate and you need those trainers to make yourself more separate and better (laughs) than everybody else. So I left that and here I am 40 years later in October. It's the anniversary that is in October. 40 years later, still on the same. I started when I was two. (laughs) (laughs) 40 years later, I'm still on the same path but it was the glimpse of the nature of reality that changed me. And it took ages to change me, I have to tell you. You know, I had that glimpse of the nature, and I was still a bad boy for 10 years, you know. I still am, but, you know, my behavior only really gradually changed. It took ages. You know, 10 years later, I started my practice. And really, you know, these things... Zen master Robert Kennedy said, you know, we change imperceptibly to ourselves. And you can get totally disheartened, you think, I'm not changing, but actually you are, by the very nature of of, of what is going on. And and gradually one changes. It was the glimpse of the nature of reality that began that change. No, it wasn't hearing the ideas, but actually knowing them deep down. And that is what the study of spirituality is for. That, that great Rome Williams definition of spirituality, he defines spirituality as the cultivation, the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. Spirituality as the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. It's an ongoing process of cultivating that relationship with the essence of reality. And the essence of reality is eternal truth and love. And as we go deeper into that relationship, we begin to learn more about that which we're relating. As we develop our relationship, we learn more about it. And at some point, the object of that relationship becomes our beloved. As you develop more and more an interest in it, as you you begin to understand it, the object of that relationship becomes our beloved. Now, I always think that people at Aspen Chapel have done every course under the sun, you know. Um, and there is a, I a—I don't know if you've done this in a particular course. There is a course where you're asked to turn and look at a face, and you have to—I I don't know if any of you've done this—but you have to look at a face close, you know, like this. That's it, exactly like this. And you have to look at it, and they, they ask you—they ask you to look at it for about about five minutes. And you look at it deeply, and you, you, you go into it, you study it, you, you start to look at every line, every contour, every hair, every mole. There are no hairs or moles, I want you to let you know, on uh, Jules' face. And do you know what happens after you do that? Every face becomes lovely. You gradually, when you look into that face continually, you can't help but fall in love with the face. You love Anything, if you can get your mind out of the way long enough to be able to do that. And as we study that relationship with eternal truth and love, so we gradually fall in love with it. Our mind begins to get out of the way, and so our heart begins to open, and we begin relating with our hearts. When you're staring at the face, and try it someday, I won't ask you to do it now, because it doesn't really generally fall within the permissions that I have here in the chapel during a Sunday service. Um, so I won't ask you to do it, but come on a course with me and we might do it because I will have permission then. But, you know, someone that's just walked off the street and you asked to stare into the face, I went to the afternoon chapel, I just stare in someone's face. So we won't be doing it now. But when you stare at someone's face long enough, To begin with, the mind's judgments start to go in, first of all, you know, how does it match up to other faces? Is it beautiful or not? You know, what about that mole? What about that hair or that scar? But after a while, the mind quietens down and it all begins to look perfect in a funny sort of way. And then it becomes to look beautiful. The line of the eyelid, the curve of the lip, it's completely perfect. And before you know it, you're falling in love with the, pe- the face in front of you. It could not be more perfect. And, you know, the same is true with the way we develop our relationship with life through the study of spirituality. To begin with, our mind is all over the place. Judging, trying to work everything out, trying to get an edge or an advantage on what you're doing. But as the mind drops away, And that comes through various methods of practice, like meditation. As, as the mind drops away, so the heart begins to come through and begin to appreciate reality from a place of the heart rather than a place of the mind. You begin to appreciate reality from the place of the heart. And then you begin to fall in love. We literally fall in love with your life. You fall in love with reality. And that changes the way that you deal with reality. Because we're no, no, we're no longer relating with the mind, we're relating with the heart. And when we relate with the mind, it, it reinforces the separateness. Because the seat of understanding that we are separate comes from the mind. The mind's the thing that tells us that we're separate, it does that in order to help us survive. The mind tells us that we have to be careful and preserve ourselves at all costs, which is good. We don't want to die. You know. The mind is you know, it's a good thing that it does tell us to be separate. But you know, make, make, you know, have no doubt, the, the mind is the thing that tells us that we're separate. But we get to a certain point in our development where that's no longer enough. We arrive at a point where we want to go, and hopefully we all do, beyond our survival where our consciousness has developed to a point of wanting to understand more deeply. And that deeper understanding comes not from the mind, but from the heart. And that gives us a new connection to everything. Instead of trying to understand and survive everything, we want to empathize and contribute to what's around us. Our emphasis becomes one of giving out of love. And that's where compassion kicks in and our desire to support rather than to dominate. And so we fall in love all over again with our lives. Now, I know there's a whole argument that says when you fall in love, it's really just the mind and the body preparing for the the commitment needed to mate and produce an offspring. And there's no real reality in it. But actually, it is a response to someone that enables us to survive better. It is in our interests that. And the same is true as falling in love with life around us. It is the correct way to respond to life and enables us to respond in, a, in an appropriate way to all our surroundings. You know, love, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that is the you know, the two great commandments. It is to love. And we're supposed to end up, you know, what you're supposed to do in your life is to end up falling in love with everything. Yeah, you know, not everybody gets there, but that is the root. People, animals, plants, the planet. Because then we look after them rather than trying to dominate them or exploit them. It becomes about looking after them. So going back to where we started, The whole purpose of our spiritual practice is to enable us to have a more profound insight into the nature of reality so that we can find our place in the world and serve appropriately. And the first step in doing that is to come out of our minds and into our hearts so that we can relate out of love rather than relate out of our rational minds. And you know, that does take discipline. It does take discipline, because our our minds are so committed to being in control in order to survive. And we literally, in doing this process, we have to peel the hands of the mind off the steering wheel of life. You literally have to peel the hands of the mind off the steering wheel of life in order to give our hearts a chance to relate to life in a different way which is why we practice. We practice in order to do that. We practice because it doesn't come naturally in day-to-day living. So we practice so that when we are in our day-to-day living, it's more of a natural process not to react out of our minds. The first stage is for the mind to realize that it's not going to be able to solve the problems of this world with rational thought alone. The mind has to come to that realization that it's not going to solve the problems of the world through rational thought alone. And, you know, that is a big step. You know, I said last week, Einstein said that none of his great ideas came from rational thought. They were all, all came from a sense of inspiration. Now, skeptics don't want to go there. They want to continually try and work it all out. But all the evidence says that you can only get so far with the rational mind. And you know, looking out there now as a society, we've probably gone as far as we can with the rational mind. I mean, look what we can do. You know, do so many things. You know, technologically, you know, I can pick up my phone now and I can communicate with, you know, my mother the other side of the world within a second. we can't stop fighting each other. We can't stop the cycle of violence that goes on. We can't stop the degrading of the planet. We can't stop any of that. In fact, the things that the mind is, making us, is, is helping us do is actually exacerbating that. We can kill people more efficiently now. We can kill them more effectively. We can degrade the planet more effectively. Yet the mind, I think, has taken it as far as it can go. We're beginning to realize that you know, the problems we face War, famine, despotism, poverty, and political stupidity are probably not going to be solved by the rational mind. And that we need to access a better way of looking at the world, which is through the heart. Most of us here probably come to the conclusion in our own lives, you know, we probably come to that conclusion as we try to face our own problems. And, you know, here we're trying to work that out together. We're trying to work out how to do this together. Individually solve our own problems, collectively solve problems. But we have to bring, I want to say that, you know, we have to bring our minds with us as well. You know, the only way to convince the mind, however, is to provide it with irrefutable evidence that the nature of reality is such that it doesn't need to be combative it needs to cooperate with life and so we seek to experience that deeper nature that will shift the horizons of our mind so that the mind can be brought to bear on the issues rather than fighting for its own view of what those issues should be the mind has to go. we have to get our minds in cooperation it's not just oh i'm just going to be loving and from the heart the mind has to come with us And has to actually show us how to be cooperative. When the mind catches a glimpse of the true nature of all things, the oneness of everything, our interconnectedness, our independence, it has that big ah, that moment of realisation. And everything can change at that moment. And the mind will change with it. It'll still go back again. It'll still... You know, it'll, it's recidivist. You know, it'll go back to its old behaviors, but something in there changes. And that's why we sit on a mat. That's why we pray. That's why we study spirituality. That's why we cultivate a, a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. And, you know, you can't do that just by dogging along. Do you have that expression, dogging along? Dogging along just means going through the motions. You just dog along, you know, just... Nothing changes. You have to have intention. Really, for this to happen, you've got to have an intention for it to happen. From the Latin word, intentionum, which means stretching out, straining, exertion, effort, attention. It takes effort to take the mind's hands off the steering wheel. And we have to have the intention for that to happen. It just doesn't just come. What does come is sitting in front of the television and smoking a joint. Not for all of us, of course, but <laughs> what does come in having is having another beer. What does come yeah, it's easy to be lazy. That's what comes naturally. Intention is difficult. You have to intend for it to having had the vision that it's possible to live from your heart, and that is the vision. The vision is that it's possible to live from your heart, and you know most of it. Particularly twenty minutes into a talk like this, will sign up to that. Yes, yeah, possible. It's possible to live from the heart. You know, we'll sign up to yes. In theory, it is possible to live from the heart, and that this actually is the way we must develop in order for individuals, as a society, you know, to move forward. But the mission is that we have to have intentionum, to stretch out to make it happen. The mission is we have to be on the mat. The mission is we have to make it happen, which is why we have a practice. And every time we practice, whether it be on the mat or the cushion or going up the mountain, we have to have the intention that this practice, this skinning up the mountain, this sitting on the mat... This yoga is to enable us to live from the heart rather than from the mind. It has to be the intention at the beginning of every practice. I'm not just doing this for the sake. I'm doing it with the intention of liberating my heart. And That can't look any particular way because that's the mind. You can't say I'm doing this to be enlightened. You can't be looking for an experience. But you have to, you can intend That you're going to start, you're going to be coming from the heart rather than the mind, and you use your focus on the breath to do that. You use your Lectio Divina to do that. You use whatever it is to bring your attention into your heart and take the hands off the steering wheel, the mind's hands off the steering wheel. We have to live consciously from the heart in those moments, focusing on the breath or the mantra or the skis. Although Gary tells me you're not supposed to look at the skis, you're supposed to look at the horizon. But, you know, whatever it is you're supposed to look at. And our intention has to carry us right the way through to the end. Watching every breath, saying the mantra all the time, intending for that to happen. And when you find yourself drifting off, that lovely thing from Thomas Keating, he said that the practice is not following the breath, it's coming back to the breath when you've gone away. That is the practice, which is always so relieving because oh, I'm doing the practice, I'm coming back. You don't beat yourself up. More than that, the context of our lives has to have the intention of living from a different place. That has to be the context of our lives, that we are intending to live from a different place. Everything. It has to be the context of all things which is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be given to you. It has to be the absolute priority in your life. The most important thing, more important than anything else, like going on a diet. When you're on a diet, it has to be the most important thing because you'll say, oh, this meeting is much more important, I'll have a sandwich. Or this relationship, oh, I've got to go out to dinner with this person, it's much more important, I'll have this uh, escalope. No, the diet and it has to be the most important thing in order for it to work. And same with giving up smoking. It has to be the most important thing in your life in order to give up. Otherwise you just say, Oh, I'll well, have a fag because it's more important that I get on in this situation. It has to be the most important thing. Which means which is what is meant by us creating a continuum of growth. It's an expression I used last week, a continuum of growth. Everything then serves that purpose. Everything in your life, everything that comes up serves that purpose. Our problems, our relationships, our anger, our grief are all a part. They become a part of our learning to raise our horizons and see the deeper reality in life. Everything becomes grist for that particular meal. And then it will come. You know, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Life is asking you to do this, and therefore it will give you the insight. It will give you the insight, because our purpose in life is to serve the greater universe. And given the chance, it will show you how to do it, but only if you're in cooperation. That that phrase, the, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. But you have an obligation to cooperate with it. And when you start to cooperate, then sense begins to be made. It will not be made by just looking out there and saying, well, it'll be made by coming from the inside, from that wisdom. We're going to talk more next week about that wisdom. It will show you. So we create the intention in our lives for transformation. And we follow through that intention in our practice. We understand that everything that happens to us is grist for that mill. And we give up to that process. Let it be to me as you have said. That's what Mary said to the angel. Let it be to me as you have said. That, that is the relationship we have. And we will then have a glimpse of that new reality. And our minds will then follow. Our minds will follow as Mary's did. She glimpsed that new reality in the angel. And her mind had no problem in following We don't leave our minds behind after we begin to live in our hearts. We convert them. That's what it means. That's what it means to be born again. I don't don't, don't want it to be said that the Aspen Chapel, we were talking about born again. but, But that's what it means to be born again. It means that the mind is born again from a different place. Metanoia, to change your mind translated as repent by most people, but it actually means metanoia, the Greek word for, that we've traditionally thought of, repent, means to change your mind. This is the change of mind that it's talking about. To live from our hearts. We convert our hearts and bring them with us. Last few paragraphs, don't panic. They then help us to work out, our minds help us to work out what to do next. It, they lead us into an understanding of how to serve, which is our reason for being here in the first place. The tree serves out of its treeness, and we have to serve out of our own isness, you know, out of our deediness, out of our Caroliness, out of our meme-ness. We have to serve out of that. That is the root of who we are as a person, and we—that is where we uniquely can contribute. But it doesn't happen unless the mind has seen that deeper reality. And we have to do the, all that we can to make that happen. Only then will we be able to serve in the way that we're made for. Only then we will we be able to manifest the word that God uttered in us. Only then will we be able to be who God meant us to be so that we can set the world on fire. As Teresa of said. Let's pray. And when we come to these moments of prayer, we're really connecting with that greater reality, particularly with those who we want to help or assist or comfort. And we particularly think today of Erin and Tommy Hesert and their premature baby, one of twins, the first baby lost last week, the other little girl 22 weeks old. And we just pray for them. In um, New York, young couple. We think of Dee Dee and her family. The loss of Elise. I just pray for your love and care to these people. Pray for Sophie Carlon in hospital, for Sophie Layton, for Martha Martin. Also, continue to pray for Brandon Scott, who is now having treatment in Los Angeles, his family, Mandy, Joe, and Micah. Continue to think of Virginia Newton's family and the death of her mother, and all those surrounding um, friends and family of Chris Faison. Also, we think of Annie Teague as well at the moment. Anybody else that we know of that's suffering, just mention them in our hearts. So many people today on the mountains, up and down the valley, we pray for their safety those in ski patrol, on the lifts and working the restaurants, those visitors, people learning. pray for safety on the mountain. Pray for our country. Pray for all the areas of disturbance, difficulty, particularly people who've not got enough food to eat, don't have homes or jobs people struggling in any way. Pray for our leaders right across the country that you will put love and understanding in their hearts. And we pray for our world, particularly praying for that sense of separateness that exists between countries and races and continents, that you will open the hearts and minds of all who exist to come together to support each other in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.